Hello and welcome to Iroquois History and Legends. I'm Andrew. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to our second installment of Haudenosaunee Legends. That's right. We have done nine episodes in a historical narrative. So we're going to try to uh, own up to our name, Iroquois History and Legends, and give you guys another episode on legends. So today we are going to be featuring two more fable-type stories that the uh, Haudenosaunee might have told their kids around the campfire. Uh, kind of, you know, some, hey, how did this happen? And then they had a story for it. But then we're also going to talk about another story. Yeah, it's one of the principal stories of the Seneca people, and it combines their origin story of where they came from, and also a great story about a mysterious monster. Yep, monsters are make for good stories. Yep. So um, we hope that you enjoy these next three legends. Why Fox and Raccoon are no longer friends, and why Raccoon lives in a tree. In the forest, there are many animals. Some of these are friends with one another, like turkey and deer. Others do nothing but fight and bicker, like blue jay and squirrel, or eagle and weasel. This is a story of two animals that were once good friends, but now have a loathing more fierce and sometimes comical than any other creature in the forest. I'm of course talking about fox and raccoon. Now, some animals have great strength or speed or size, but fox and raccoon had something more precious than that. They had something more precious than a deer's antlers or a bear's strength or a turtle's shell or even an eagle's feathers. They had great minds. In fact, fox and raccoon were the craftiest creatures in the forest. Now, there are many intelligent animals in the forest, but the difference with fox and raccoon was that they knew it. And we all know that it's a sin to be smart and know it. Our story takes us many moons ago back when fox and raccoon were not just friends, but also neighbors. They both enjoyed each other's company so much that they would build their burrows right next to each other. This way, they would always have someone to tell what good trickery they had done that day. This led fox and raccoon to live in good humor for a long time, until one day an argument broke out on who was smarter. Fox insisted that he was the craftier animal because he'd killed many more geese and ducks than Raccoon. Raccoon thought he was smarter because he'd killed many more fish and crabs than Fox. After a long time of arguing, they parted ways into the woods, sure that they were each smarter than the other. I will show that overgrown, bushy-tailed rat who is smarter, Fox thought. If only I had some of those legendary magic pawpaws. You see, back then there was still magical treasures in the world. They were very rare, but from time to time they would be found and give their finders special powers. The magic pawpaws had the power to make foxes invisible. If I was invisible, I could catch more geese and ducks, and also more fish and crabs. Then Raccoon would have to admit that I was the smarter animal. Fox began running back and forth through the woods, 
looking for some magic pawpaws. He went to the pond and asked the ducks if they had any growing there. But they just panicked and began to fly, screaming, Fox, 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 fox. He ran into the cave and asked Bear if he'd seen any pawpaws growing in the cave. Is that you, Fox? asked Bear. I have not forgotten what you did to my beautiful tail. That's right, Fox thought. I forgot you were still mad at me, Bear. It's hard to keep straight who's mad at you when you trick so many dumber animals. Fox ran back through the woods, remembering how he had tricked Bear into ripping off his tail. But then he began to get sad. How am I ever going to prove I'm the smartest if I can't find any magic pawpaws? I know, he thought. Perhaps... If I could not find magic pawpaws, I could find something else magical to trade for some. Fox sat on a log, thinking what he may find that would be valuable enough to trade. Where, as he sat thinking, a small humming noise came through the forest. What is that noise, he thought. How am I to think where I could find a magical item with that horrible hum noise? Wait a minute. Could it be? Could it be a magical red hum house? You see, legend has it that deep in the forest, from time to time, would be found a magical red hum house. And if a raccoon is to possess it, it would make him invisible and also make him a great hunter. Fox ran as fast as he could through the forest, listening for the sound. The sound began to get louder and louder until Fox spotted it. But it was not a magic hum house at all. It was just a gray hornet's nest. Just a hornet's nest, Fox said sadly. I will never find a magical item in the forest. Fox sat back down for a few minutes. And then slowly a smile came to his face. If, if I can't find a magic red hum house, maybe... Just maybe I could make one. Fox slowly and quietly snuck up to the hornet's nest and plugged the hole with a piece of wood. Now I will need some red clay, he said, as he ran down the pond looking for some clay. The hornets began to grow very loud. Don't worry, little stingers. You will be able to sting soon. He laughed. <laughs> Fox rolled the hornet's nest in the red clay, and after it dried, it truly did look like a magical red hum house. Now, thought Fox, now all I need to do is find someone dumb enough to trade me some magic pawpaws for this hornet's, this magic red hum house. Fox ran through the woods, yelling to everyone he saw, I have a magic red hum house. I will trade it for magic pawpaws. I have a magic red hum house. I'll trade it for magic pawpaws. Hey, I have a magic red hum house. I'll trade it for magic pawpaws. You, bear, I have a magic red hum house. I will trade it for magic pawpaws. Okay, okay, maybe not. Hey, you ducks, I have a magic red hum house. I have a magic red hum house. I have a, guys, I have a magic red hum house. I'll trade it for magic pawpaws. Now, Raccoon was in his burrow, thinking of what he could do to prove he was smarter than Fox, when he heard some loud noises coming from outside. 
I have a magic red home house, I'll trade for magic pawpaws. I have a magic red home house, I'll trade for magic pawpaws. It was Fox yelling something about magic home house. You, Fox! What is it that you're yelling about? Oh, oh, hello, raccoon. I was uh, just telling everyone that I have a magic home house that I'll trade for magic pawpaws. Okay, I need to be off. Uh, once I find someone to trade with, I'll be able to turn invisible and become the smartest animal and the best hunter. Fox ran through the woods like a flash of red, yelling, I'll have a magic home house that I'll trade for pawpaws. I have a magic red home house that I'll trade for pawpaws. Raccoon went back into his den. Sad and angry to think that Fox would soon have magic powers. But after a while, a small smile came to his face. Fox wants magic pawpaws, eh? I think I know where to get some. Raccoon ran down to the swamp, looking for a plant we call Jack in the Pulpit. The animals had a different name for it. Fireball. I will show Fox, he thought. We will see who the smarter animal is when I trick him into giving me his magic red hum house. Raccoon found a plant and began to roll it in yellow mud. Once it dried, it looked just like the magic pawpaw. Now, all I need to do is find Fox. It was not hard. All he had to do was follow the racket. I have a magic hem house. I'll trade for magic pawpaws. Hey guys, I have a magic hem house. I'll trade for magic pawpaws. Hey, I have a magic hum house. I'll trade for magic pawpaws. Raccoon picked up the magic pawpaws and ran down the trail looking for Fox. Hello, Fox. How are you this fine day? <sighs> Hello, Raccoon. I'm fine. Uh... Where are you going with that strange fruit? Oh, these here? These are some magic pawpaws. If a fox eats them, he'll turn invisible. But they don't work on raccoons, so I have no use for them. Say, fox, what is that you have there? Oh, this? Well, by coincidence, this is a magic red hum house I found. Any raccoon that bites into it will have the power to turn invisible and become a great hunter. But I'm just a fox, so I have no use for it. Say, said Raccoon, why don't we trade? That way we can both become great hunters. I think that is a great idea, Raccoon. Stupid fox, thought Raccoon. I will have the magic red hum house, and he will get nothing but a burned mouth. We will soon see who the smarter animal is. Stupid Raccoon thought Fox. I will have the magic pawpaws, and Raccoon will have nothing but a swollen face. We'll soon see who the smarter animal is. They traded, and each greedily ran back to their houses to eat the magic items. First, Raccoon shook the hum house. It began to hum loudly. This truly is full of magic hum. He bit into the hum house, and hundreds of hornets attacked him viciously, stinging him all around his eyes and his tail. He ran from his house, screaming in pain to the pond. When Fox heard this, he laughed <laughs> and said, We now know who the smarter animal is. When Raccoon got to the pond, he rubbed black mud around his eyes and tail to help with the pain. He rubbed so hard that the mud would not come out of his fur. What has become of me? said Raccoon. 
He lay in the mud crying from the pain when Fox came screaming from his den. He had just bitten into the fireball and he ran through the woods screaming and crying the whole way. A small smile came to Raccoon's face. Hours later, Fox came storming through the forest. Where is Raccoon? I'm going to kill him! I'm up here in the tree, yelled Raccoon. I will kill you! You tricked me, Raccoon! First you will have to catch me. I will catch you when you come down to your house. Then I will live up here in the tree. Fox cursed him and walked away. So from that day, Fox and Raccoon have not been friends. Raccoon has lived in the trees, and he still has not been able to get the black mud from his face. Turtles race with bear. It was an early winter, cold enough so that the ice had frozen all over the ponds. And Bear, who had not yet learned in those days that it was wiser to sleep through the white season, grumbled as he walked through the woods. Perhaps he was remembering the time that Fox had played a trick on him. Perhaps he was just not in a good mood. It happened that he came to the edge of a great pond and saw a turtle there with his head sticking out of the ice. Hey! shouted Bear, not even giving his old friend a greeting. What are you looking at, slow one? Turtle looked at Bear. Why do you call me slow? Bear snorted. You are the slowest of the animals. If I were to race you, I would leave you far behind. Perhaps Bear had never heard of Turtle's big race with Beaver. And perhaps Bear didn't remember that Turtle, like Coyote is an animal whose greatest speed is in his wits. My friend, Turtle said, let us have a race to see who is the swiftest. All right, said Bear. Where will we race? We will race here at this pond, and the race will be tomorrow morning when the sun is the width of one hand above the horizon. You will run along the banks of the pond, and I will swim in the water. How can that be? Bear said. There is ice all over the pond. We will do it this way, said Turtle. I will make holes in the ice along the sides of the pond and swim under the water to each hole and stick my head out when I reach it. I agree, said Bear. Tomorrow we will race. When the next day came, many of the other animals gathered to watch. They lined the banks of the great pond and watched Bear as he rolled in the snow and jumped up and down to make himself ready. Finally, just as the sun was a hand's width in the sky, Turtle's head popped out of the hole in the ice at the starting line. Bear, he called, I am ready. Bear walked quickly to the starting place, and as soon as the signal was given, he rushed forward, snow flying from his feet and his breath making great white clouds above his head. Turtle's head disappeared in the first hole. And then, in almost no time at all, it reappeared from the next hole, far ahead of Bear. Here I am, Bear, Turtle called. Catch up to me. And then he was gone again. 
bear was astonished and ran even faster. But before he could reach the next hole, he saw a Turtle's green head pop up out of it. Here I am, Bear, Turtle called again. Catch up to me. Now Bear began to run in earnest. His sides were puffing in and out as he ran. His eyes were becoming bloodshot, but it was no use. Each time, long before he would reach each of the holes, that ugly green head of a turtle would be there ahead of him, calling him out to catch up. When Bear finally reached the finish line, he was barely able to crawl. Turtle was waiting there for him, surrounded by all the other animals. Bear had lost the race. He dragged himself home in disgrace, so tired that he fell asleep as soon as he reached home. He was so tired that he slept until the warm breath of spring came into the woods again. It was not long after that Bear and all the other animals had left the pond that Turtle tapped on the ice with a long claw. At his sign, a dozen ugly heads like his popped up from the holes, and all along the edge of the pond, they were there. It was Turtle's cousins and brothers, all whom just looked just like him. My relatives, Turtle said, I wish to thank you. Today we have shown Bear that it does not pay to call other people names. We have taught him a good lesson. Turtle smiled, and a dozen other turtles, all just like him, smiled back. And we have shown the other animals that turtles are not the slowest animals. When the people of the hill, as the Seneca were called, lighted their first council fire on Ganondua Mountain, and its flames leapt high, there was great rejoicing, for they knew that the supreme ruler was pleased, and they gave thanks for their beautiful land, with its guarding mountain, whose towering height reflected far down on the peaceful waters of Canandaigua Lake. From a cave nearby, the Seneca had sprung up from the ground, and since then, the hills and the lakes the Supreme Ruler had made with his hands have been the home of the Seneca. The Supreme Ruler loved his people, and thoughtful of their needs, sent game to their forests and fish to their lakes and streams, that they might dwell in peace and plenty forever. It was here that Ka'istawania, the serpent, was first seen. None know from where it came, and it was here that a child named Brave Boy one summer day when paddling his canoe through the swampland found it. It was sunbasking on floating sedgegrass. He was attracted by its bright skin and its beautiful colors with gold and silver stripes running down its back. Brave Boy was determined to possess it, and gently raising it on his paddle, he placed it in the canoe. Great was his astonishment to discover it had two heads. Fearing that it might bode ill to himself or to his people, he raised his paddle to destroy it. But he was charmed by the way it swayed its heads and the way its bright eyes glistened in the sun. His fears were soon forgotten, and he bore it to his lodge. And when caressed by Brave Boy, he would wave its beautiful heads in expression of its gratitude. And the attachment of Brave Boy for his newfound companion increased with the passing days. Brave Boy was happy that the snake would eat whatever he could feed it, 
Since it was so small, he would give it insects and worms. After some time, it was large enough to have small birds and then larger animals such as squirrels and rabbits. Its two heads always had a voracious appetite, and the Kaistwania grew rapidly. It was Brave Boy's delight to procure for it the choicest game in the forest, and for many months there was happiness in his lodge, which he hoped might continue as long as he should live. But it was not to be. The Kaistwania, so beautiful and graceful in its youth, soon grew to be a ravenous monster, demanding for its maw more food than Brave Boy could obtain. Although he was aided by all the hunters of the tribe, and having grown so large that the lodge could no longer contain it, it left Brave Boy and wandered to a cave under the mountain, whence it would emerge from the forest to devour game until the people were famishing. In the greed of its hunger, it crawled to the lake where it devoured all the fish. In time, it became so large and mischievous that the tribe were put to dread of it. They consulted on the subject one evening and determined to fly next morning. But with the light of the next day, the monster had encircled the hill and lay with its double jaws extended before the gate. Some attempted to pass out, but were driven back. Others tried to climb over its body, but were unable. Hunger at last drove them to desperation, as they made an attempt to flee through the gates, but they only rushed into the monster's double jaws. Then, one by one, those left in the town were devoured. Brave Boy, who had now become a great warrior, was overcome with remorse at beholding the destruction of his people for he knew that his love for the beautiful little Kaastawania had brought this great calamity upon them, and he was wearied with grieving. Then he fell asleep. While sleeping, he dreamed that a voice spoke to him, saying, Save your people! The Kaastawania is strong, but I will aid you to vanquish it. Your arrow must bear a charm. Make it of a dark snake wood and tip its points with white flint. String your bow with a lock of your sister's hair, and aim at the monster's heart. Starting from his sleep, and believing that the great spirit had spoken to him, he hastened to obey. When all was prepared, as directed to him in his dream, he had declared his intentions to the people. He approached Caius Dewania, reminding it of the time when it was young and helpless, and he had taken it from the swamp to the shelter of his lodge. But the Kaistawania, who had hesitated at the sound of Brave Boy's voice, would listen no longer, and return to his bloody feast. "'Ungrateful creature!' exclaimed Brave Boy. "'You shall die!' And springing his bow to the utmost ability to bend, sped his arrow at the monster's heart. True to its aim, the arrow sank deep, and the Kaistawania relaxed its grasp and rolled down the base of the mountain." Violently it flailed in vain, and in doing so destroyed every tree and bush on the hill as it descended. Finally, reaching the lake, the monster tried to quench its thirst, but to no avail. In its dying struggles, it disgorged the heads of the people it had swallowed. Many of the heads sank into the lake. Then finally, the great serpent expired, and finishing its death rattle, sank beneath the waves of the lake forever. When the heads of the victims he had consumed had fallen into the lake, they were turned to stone and lie in great heaps at the bottom. 
But a large number, aided by the supreme ruler, were given new bodies and rejoined the survivors of their new council fire far from Ganondowa Mountain. Until the time of the white men's arrival, the great hill remained bald of any trees, and to this day the place is known as Bear Hill. So it was that the great spirit, through Brave Boy, defeated Kaistawania, the serpent, and saved the Seneca people. Welcome back, everyone. So that last story was The Legend of Bear Hill. It's one of my favorite um, Seneca legends. I first heard that story in kindergarten when we went to the museum and they did a, a puppet show for us and did that story. And so ever since a little child, I've always liked that one. I've heard bits and pieces of that story. One of them uh, was a story I heard in Boy Scouts. But uh, have you ever actually been up on Bear Hill before, Andrew? I have, yes. It's a beautiful place yeah i mean you overlook it and you can see the entire extent of canadagua lake it's it's just an amazing place yeah i think is it owned by the state or the county now uh, it's a, it's, it's a all, park it's all public land though i think it's a new york state land yeah um but to this day um little tidbit this is where the seneca hold their annual council fire um i know that we had mentioned that in onondaga is where the six nations hold their council fire but the seneca nation is where they hold theirs every fall Mm -hmm. And um, if you live around Canandaigua Lake, you know that every year in September they do the Ring of Fire. That's right. And so when the Seneca light their fire on the Council Hill on Bear Hill, everybody else around the lake puts flares up and does a Ring of Fire all the way around the lake. Yeah. Uh, I actually never knew the tradition is you're supposed to wait for the Seneca to light their fire yep. before you light. So uh, it's weird. All of a sudden, the entire lake just lights up in a, in a chain going all the way down the lake. And I just thought it was... Uh, okay, they must do it at 9 o'clock. No, they're all watching Bear Hill. And once Bear Hill is lit up, the entire lake lights up. Yeah, it's really interesting. Now, the other interesting thing about Bear Hill is it's really unique because there is a lot of ancient uh, archaeological stuff, or at least there used to be, up there on the hill. That's right. Up until even the, the 1900s, there was stone walls from like an ancient town like like a castle almost which is really interesting because what we've learned so far is the seneca predominantly had wooden walls around their towns and moved them but this was like a fortress yes. made out of stone which makes it very unique which would have been very cool to uh look at but sadly i believe it was the town of middlesex was hired they hired their highway company to come in and bulldoze it all and use all the stone walls as fill uh, for for a swamp or for just building roads or something. So sadly, this only stone structure of the Iroquois people that we know of uh, was bulldozed for fill. And we've lost incredible. We lost an incredible opportunity to study. I mean, we don't even know how old the the fortress was. A lot of people think it predates the modern Iroquois nations, uh, but there's just no way to know because mm -hmm. it's gone. Now, uh, I'd recommend anybody from the area, it's really worth a trip. They have all sorts of nice hiking trails and a campground up there. They also have uh, 
a shorter version of the story we just read to you on a plaque there when you get there. Uh, but if you walk up there through the trails, you can even to this day see where something used to be. It's like hard, rocky ground. You know, you can tell that it's like the foundation of something used to be there to this day. Uh, so we highly recommend taking a walk up there. It's really beautiful, too. It looks over Canandaigua Lake. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really a nice hidden gem that not a lot of people would think to go and take a look at it. Nope. That's all we have for this week. Did you have anything else, Caleb, that you Oh, I guess add? we could point out, in the story, in the end of the story, we talked about how uh, how up until white men came, there were no trees on it. Oh, yeah. But when the first settlers came here, they get here and they look at this random huge hill, and there's not a tree on it. Uh-huh. And all the others have massive forests Yeah. It. So, and they ask them, why are there no trees on this hill? And they say, oh, that's because when this giant snake came and we killed it, <laughs> the snake rumbled down and destroyed all of it. And you can still see the heads of the skulls of the people down there by the shore. Yeah, do you want to talk about the skulls? Uh, I don't know a lot about it. I know that I know that there were like these perfectly round skulls sized rocks all around the bottom yeah and i think they researched it and uh there's there's a name for them yeah uh, they call them turtle stones um but yeah it it was rocks and a lot of people have picked them up now and taken them away as keepsakes so it's a lot harder to find them but around the base of this hill and and the hills next to it and only in this area only around canadagua lake were these special skull-shaped stones and to describe them they literally look like because i found one once they literally looked like a giant snapping turtle that got like fossilized. It literally looks like a fossilized turtle. It's got like the the perfect marks, like the square marks on like a box snapping turtle. But it's it's a natural formation. Yeah, just geologically the way it was. And so they, you know, in their legend said that it was the heads that had been vomited up from the snake and rolling down the hill they had petrified. So there's a lot of interesting things there that you know from the seneca's perspective it makes sense why is the hill bear oh big snake why is there turtle stones there these are the skulls of our ancestors uh why is there a fort there well that's where our our city came from where did the seneca come from they popped up out of the ground in the hill next to it on south hill so um another cool thing is when they were doing kershaw park at the head of the lake back at the turn of the 20th century um they had dug up Uh, about a dozen men and boys Seneca men and boys that um, their skeletal remains they found and they were all turned facing towards Bear Hill that's right and um, they respectfully reinterred them and they're buried right there at the park in Kershaw there's a plaque there yeah there's a monument there and when they laid them back to rest they made sure that they faced them towards Bear Hill again when they Mm -hmm. laid their bones back so this is one of the you know, as we said, they still have the council fire there. This is a very significant place for the Seneca Nation. So we're glad that we could share with you those stories today. And hopefully we'll talk to you again next time. Uh, be sure uh, to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Thanks so much for the few people that did leave some last yeah, week. Yeah, those were great to read. Um, so we would really encourage you, if you guys like the show, please leave us a review. It really does help us get continually noticed in iTunes, and that way we can share the story more with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Also, don't forget to go to our website yep. at peopleofthelonghouse.com, right? That's it. Longhouse Podcast. Longhousepodcast.com. Uh, there's actually ways where we can do kind of blog blog threads there and have conversations with you guys. And if you want to ask questions, we can have an open conversation on our website right there. So if that's something you'd be interested, please go there and check that out. And, of course, there's Facebook, which we love to hear from you all on, too. 
Well, thanks everyone. Have a great day. Bye everybody.